Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Our International News Review with Steve Oak. And Steve, welcome back after your U.S. sojourn. Great to be back as part of the Tony Trioka. <laughs> now, hang on a minute. That's your home, isn't it? Where's the, I thought no hotel for you. You know, I, I put in a request to do the stay home notice at home and you had to go through a, a process and uh, explain like nobody's here. I mean, no one is here. It's just me. And they said, well, do you have a reference uh, that we know we can trust you to stay home? And I put down Neil Humphreys and, and it got approved. And despite that, they still let you go. <laughs> I've got friends, Steve. I've, I've, I've met the queen. I've met the queen. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Are we going to go there? No, we're not going to go there. Hey, okay. Hey, Steve. Uh, so you've been gone a, a few weeks now. Um, you've been everywhere from the West Coast visiting family to the center part of the country, mm-hmm. Colorado, taking your son to school, to the East Coast, uh, D.C., working with uh, your company there and meeting lots of old friends from government. What's the mood? What's going on? Give us an overview, kind of a COVID and mental mental check on the health of America. It, well, you know, I mean, it's really in, in a way depressing to see the, the divide that's coming in the country. And, and, and I'll give you just a short anecdote. Uh, you know, one of my fraternity brothers hosted a, you know, a, a get together at, at his house because I was in town. And so there were, you know, about 20 of us there. And he sent out in the invitation, uh, he and his wife sent out the invitation, you must be vaccinated. Uh, to come to the house. And uh, somebody came and they, you know, a good friend of ours, a friend for decades, and they said, are you vaccinated? And he said, no. And they kicked him out of the house. Uh, So you see this, you know, a a tension, you know, between friends who've been friends for a long time. So you have the vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. You have the maskers uh, and the anti-maskers. And it, it really starts to permeate down to the personal level. It's not just what you watch on TV. Steve, anecdotally, you were there for a period of weeks. Did did the mood change at all? Because I'm just looking at some of the stats, and they are quite extraordinary now. Kids are now accounting for more than one-fifth of total COVID cases in the U.S. And just a report I read in the USA, USA Today yesterday said that the U.S. is now reporting more than 10,000 COVID deaths each week for the first time since early March. So they are definitely on the rise. And is the mood changing as a result, or is there still that divide? Oh, no, the, the divide is there, but it's now becoming not only socially more difficult to not be vaccinated, depending on where you are in the country, but economically more difficult, and from a health perspective, more difficult. So now that the Pfizer vaccine received full FDA approval, not just emergency FDA approval, employers are much more comfortable putting in a vaccine mandate. And even when there's not a formal one, there's an informal one. You know, Cam Newton, who's a a famous uh, quarterback, former NFL MVP, former Heisman Trophy winner, he got cut by the New England Patriots, presumably because he refused to get vaccinated. And because of that, then he had to go through different protocols as being a member of of an American football team um, than the other teammates were. So, so you get people getting cut from football teams. You're getting um, people getting fired from jobs, people not getting hired. So I think you're seeing a lot more coming in as well as the recognition that uh, we can't fool around when it comes to the Delta variant and, and who knows what other variants are, are down the path. Fascinating. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, Steve, let's leave that and let's move on. We got a lot to talk about, including a, a, a case that 
could end up being a landmark case in the state of Texas that is now requiring uh, women who want to have uh, an abortion to have it within six weeks, in the first six weeks. Now, this uh, is somewhat in... uh, in opposition to a bill in the U.S. Congress that declared that women have the you know, fundamental right to, to bear a child, to terminate the pregnancy, etc. Uh, and what do we know about where this is right now and what we're expecting to happen next in the state of Texas? Well, let me give you just an anecdote of what, what is now could happen in Texas as a result of this law. So let's say there's a, a single mom raising a, a teenage girl. That single mom, you know, has has a, a boyfriend or brings home a date, and then unbeknownst to the mom, that that man rapes the daughter and she gets pregnant. And then the daughter uh, doesn't know what to do, and she doesn't tell her mom for a, a couple of months, you know, maybe two months. And then the mom says, "Okay, we have to go, you know, to a clinic, and 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 you know, we need to have an abortion on this." What could happen if that happens is that a nosy next door neighbor could sue the mom. For $10,000, because the mom aided and abetted an abortion, even though her daughter had been raped. Exactly. Let's say they take an Uber to that, that abortion clinic. Uh, then, then the Uber driver could be uh, sued and cost $10,000 because he aided and abetted an abortion because he knew he was taking somebody to, to a clinic. And so this law, it's an attack on women. It's a, an attack on the Constitution. It's an attack on society. And what's happened is that you've got five U.S. Supreme Court justices said because Texas has put the enforcement as a private right of action. It's not the state enforcing this. The abortion in and of itself is not illegal. The Supreme Court has said, we're going to let this stand while it plays out. So it is just an awful situation, um, I don't, not just for women in, in Texas, for other states which may copycat this law, and for society as to what it does with this private right of action. Uh, an interesting state. Well, I say interesting. It's disturbing. If I've understood it right, this $10,000 is an incentive effectively, right, to snitch on the people you mentioned, the Uber driver, the, the mother. So if you, Glenn, this is astonishing to me. There's a $10,000 incentive that private citizens could get. Tell me if I've got this wrong, Steve. If they believe someone has aided and abetted someone getting an abortion. Is that correct? No, that's exactly correct. And under the U.S. Constitution, Right now, that abortion in and of itself, if it takes place within, you know, certainly within the first trimester, is legal. And so it, it's even it's just an end round of a, of, a, of a woman's right. And it is exactly as you described it. Neil. And just as I f- follow up on that, as I've said, the researchers at the University of Texas said that the law, not surprisingly, will affect the poorest in society, mostly the low income black patients living on low income. So again, it just seems like the the perception seems to be this is another Republican dominated uh, setup here in Texas that's going to unfairly penalize the poor. Yeah, there is a there's a, 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 a headline I read basically said fundamentalists take over government and attack women's rights. And the question is, is that a headline from Afghanistan or is that a headline from Texas? Uh, and it, it is going to affect the poor much more because what it means is the wealthy can go to another state. They can fly to another state. They can drive to another state. But if you're, if you're working poor and you can't afford to take the time off from work or you can't afford the, you know, the, the, the time and cost of, of going to a different state because – 
because providers of what should be legal are afraid to do so in Texas. Yes, of course, it's going to affect the, 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 the lower, you know, the lower economic classes much more. Yeah. The, uh, to be sure, you know, there are a lot of people who disagree with the notion of abortion, of terminating life, and for religious reasons, for other reasons. Mm. And, and I don't think anybody disrespects that opinion, but I think it is, a, it is a very fine line when, you know, the government has already said, look, women, you have the right to choose. You know, this has been for decades now enshrined in the Constitution federal of the government. U.S., the federal government. Yep. You know, you have the right to choose what you do with your body, as you should. And, Steve, as you mentioned, I mean, a rather extreme example, but it's a possible example and, and one that certainly has happened before uh, of, of uh, uh, sexual attack, for example, predators, things like that that happen. And, and many times... Times, you know, these young kids and even older uh, people, older adults don't know what to do and they don't necessarily do something right away when it relates to a, a violent situation or or even a situation that's not violent. So the fact that there is this limitation that's trying to be put on people, it may make some people in some quarters who are opposed to abortion happy, but the knock-on effect for low, especially low-income people, will be uh, uh, and lead to you know bad public health. And and look and, and you know and, and you know you could use other examples if you're going to do this private right of action. What happens if if you know California or New York say, well, if you don't get a vaccine, we the state are not going to require you to do that, but we're going to allow your next door neighbor to sue you because mm. you don't have a vaccine. Or for any other of number of, of reasons, this is not the way laws should be made in the United States through through private rights of action. There there are ways to do it. The Supreme Court, uh, in denying the stopping this law from going into effect, has said we we're going to take a look at it later. Um, and that is stunning, as as one of the dissenters of the uh, Justice Sotomayor said in her her dissent. It's stunning that five members of the Supreme Court said this is a good idea to allow it to play out as mm. we look at the, the, the nice, the, the more difficult legal questions around, around you know, abortion and women's rights and, and, and right to life and when does life start. Well, just briefly on that, Steve, um, uh, President Joe Biden has already spoken out and has been quite criti- critical of the Texas ruling. But where, for the benefit of Singaporeans, where does that stand now? I mean, Joe Biden can say that, but theoretically he can't overturn a state decision, can he? Well, the, he cannot. And, and what's going to really play out is there, you know, the, 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 the Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade, which is gave, uh, found that the Constitution has, says women have a right to choose up to uh, the, the viability uh, of, a, of a fetus. Mm. Um, and this was back, you know, in, in the 70s. Um, that is still in effect. But it's very possible the Supreme Court will formally overrule Roe v. Wade. There is a case now in Mississippi wow. that says viability is at 15 weeks, right? And so if the Supreme Court says that becomes legal, um, or if the Supreme Court were to formally say the Texas law becomes legal, then we have a whole different ballgame. Does the, the president and the Democratic Congress and the Democratic Senate pass a law that increases the number of Supreme Court justices from nine to 15 so that you have a majority who are appointed by President Biden who can then overturn whatever decision comes forward. This decision is going to really energize Democrats. And, you know, Glenn, when I was in Washington, um, you know, my Democratic friends were pretty depressed 
uh, of where they stood in terms of uh, the upcoming elections, the midterms in 22, um, and potentially the presidential in 24. This really changes things because now with the majority of the country favoring that women have a right to choose and this potentially being taken away, it's going to it's going to it's going to have impacts well beyond, um, you know, what happens to individual women. All right, Steve, let's leave that one here for now. We'll come back, of course, revisit it in future weeks. Um, China is warning the U.S. that bad ties could imperil climate cooperation. The Chinese foreign minister warned the U.S. that these uh, bad ties uh, will undermine these efforts. Uh, He told the U.S. climate envoy John Kerry, who was visiting China, that uh, climate climate cooperation cannot be separated from the wider environment of U.S.-China relations. Uh, So what's the message behind the message there? What, What are they getting at? Oh, I don't think there's a message behind the message. I think it's pretty, pretty blunt and straightforward what the message is, right? I mean, when the Biden administration came in, you know, and, and Joe Biden during the campaign said, you know, Donald Trump was tough on China. I'm going to be tough, but effective on China. And we're going to do this by approaching China in three different ways. We're going to confront China where they need to be confronted, such as on human rights, Taiwan, South China Sea. We're going to compete with China. Where, where we compete, such as on doing business in Southeast Asia or developing uh, infrastructure, um, you know, in this part of the world as well. And then we're going to confront China where they need to be. I mean, and then we're going to cooperate with China um, where there's mutual areas of benefit climate being number one. And, you know, that's the U.S. playbook. Well, China doesn't have to play by the U.S. playbook. China has its own playbook. And China mm-hmm. says, we're not going to follow that. You want to cooperate with us on climate? Stop confronting us on our internal matters. Stop confronting us on on Xinjiang. Stop confronting us on Hong Kong. Um, And that's the very blunt, direct message the Chinese gave to to, Special Envoy Kerry on his last visit. Um, And the U.S. is coming back and saying, we're going to live by our values. Right. We are going to protect human rights. And we have an existential threat facing Mm -hmm. us, which is the climate. And if the U.S. and the China don't work together, these weather events that we're seeing now are going to get worse and worse and worse over time so that China doesn't have a choice. Well, we'll see who, who blinks first. How does this play out for President Biden? Because you talk about weather events. I mean, my word, this week, guys, the, the, the visual metaphors in the U.S. could not have been any worse. Mm. Fires in the West, flash flooding in the East. The idea Hurricane that, in the South. The idea, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the idea that a hurricane can come ashore at mm. New Orleans and retain the power and the tenacity to go up the northeast coast and dump that level of water onto New York, Jersey, and, and Philadelphia. 15 centimeters in three hours, The right? death toll, yeah. sadly, is still rising in the yeah. northeast yeah. along the seaboard there. So how does that play with President Biden? Because they always said, didn't they, we won't, you know, the, the cliche is no one will worry about climate change until it's literally at my door, until the water literally fills my basement. Well, that literally happened this week in New York. Mm. So they're going to demand action now, uh, Steve, aren't they, in the U.S.? Well, hopefully they'll demand action. Well, half will, uh, half will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, but he, like here is the, the 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 challenge, and it comes out in China in particular. What's the you know where 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 most of the renewable energy is coming from? Certainly in the United States is is solar, right? Most of the solar panels come from Xinjiang, right? And the United States has said basically anything, almost anything produced in Xinjiang, um, is being done with forced labor. 
So you've got solar panels coming into the U.S. from Xinjiang that the Customs and Border Protection are blocking at the border, saying you cannot import these into the United States because they're manufactured with forced labor. So the U.S. cannot choose, right? The U.S. is now really has to choose. Are we going to promote human rights in with, with mm. Uyghurs in Xinjiang or are we going to address climate change? It's very hard right now or almost impossible to do both. Neil, that, I mean, that is, uh, you, you hit the, the you know, you, you really put the point there. How do you, com- how do you, or how is the U.S. going to address both of these things if China is not going to play to your rules? And this is the issue, mm. isn't it? Because China's the number one mm. emitter of greenhouse gases and the U.S. is number two. So unless the two big boys in the, in the greenhouse can get together, we're all suffering here, Steve, aren't we, <laughs> globally? Mm. We are. No, we are, and and that you know, and China is you know, uh, China has said that you know they're they're going to get to you know carbon neutral by 2060, but the plan is doomed if 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 China doesn't get to to carbon neutral well before 2060, at least a decade right. or or not sooner, based on the scientists. So, what is it that the how are the U.S. and China going to address it? Because they have to really look. This is a global issue, but it's going to have to be addressed bilaterally. Yeah. Now, there yeah. is positives here, right? I mean, you know. You know, John Kerry is getting the right level of meetings um, in China. He's meeting with the right people. They're talking about the right issues. Um, Progress, at least in terms of the relationship building and an understanding of what needs to get done, um, is happening. Um, You're seeing less. You know, you know, when the the worst greenhouse gas emission, of course, comes from coal and, and coal generated electricity. You're seeing China stopping having coal plants being financed, at least overseas, if, if not within China. So you're not seeing the coal going into Vietnam uh, and the like. So there are reasons to be somewhat optimistic on the, the U.S.-China relationship, but it doesn't fit within the paradigm the Biden administration mm. has set up. And so who's going to change? Steve, uh, our last topic, we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to ask you just to give us an overview, and maybe we can discuss it more next week. But businesses this week pushing Biden to develop a China trade policy. Uh, There was a New York Times article. Charles Friedman was quoted in that, uh, the uh, former diplomat and now senior advisor for the Center for Strategic and International Studies. You had lunch with Charles last week. Uh, Tell us where we're at and and what's the thinking around a China-U.S trade policy and where that's going to go next. Yeah, and, and Charles also uh, the, the head of Asia for the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And so Charles is a longtime China hand, a longtime Asia hand, been to Singapore, uh, you know, many times, so really knows the region. And what there's two words that the, the certainly the U.S. business community has towards the Biden administration now when it comes to China policy, impatience uh, and frustration. You know, it's, it's saying, OK, look, we're in, you know, it's September. You don't have a China policy. It's still the Trump policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, the White House press secretary was asked, when, the, when, when is the administration going to come out with its China policy? Uh, she said, well, we're working on it. And the business community says, that's not good enough. You know, you, you are very experienced people. You have people like Kurt Campbell, who's running Asia, mm-hmm. at, you know, at the, at the NSC. You know, we should have this policy now. And there's, you know, from what I was hearing, there's a lot of internal work still being done in uh, in the Biden administration, where you have people saying, yes, we need economics is so important. We have to get a China policy. And then you have others saying, well, yeah, but we how do we we have to have a worker centric trade policy? No one knows really what a worker centric trade policy means. How does that fit 
within a, a China policy. And then the agriculture secretary just came out and said, well, we need to first pass infrastructure and we need Congress to pass, you know, the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package because then we'll have a foundation where we can start trade. Well, we're going to have to wait until mm. Congress acts on infrastructure and the reconciliation to have a China trade policy. We're going to be waiting a long time, potentially. That's why it's frustration and impatience. And so everything, you know, that Charles and I you know, talked about at lunch, he basically summed it up in, in, to a New York Times reporter. So I'm not giving you anything, yeah. uh, you know, he didn't tell, he didn't tell me. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, Steve, thanks so much. Great to have you back. We do have to leave it there. Of course, we'll see you next week for more great topics in our International News Review. And I can't wait to see uh, Neil in his boxer shorts. Yeah, it's going to be a treat. At least I'm not Macaulay Culkin home alone over there. <laughs> yes, good luck with your SHN. Steve. I will be right here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. We know where to find you. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.